0: Wednesday, December 22, New York City. This is Andrei Bugoslavsky, your favorite host. I remind you again, I created this podcast because my young followers from TikTok and Instagram encourage me to create a podcast where I can simply talk to the microphone and share stories from my life from my unfortunate experiences when I was challenged with impossible, impossible challenges, but I took, I made choices and I took decisions and I overcame the challenges and it all worked out for better. So no matter what life shuffles at you, if life throws lemons at you, make a lemonade. So I was in high school, and I found a a private tutor, a gentleman who had polio at age six, or his legs didn't grow, so he walked on the floor on his arms. But he was a professional artist, and he knew a lot about technology, and he was a great student and a follower of Rembrandt, and he loved to draw black and white uh, sketches with black ink, with a brush or a little, uh, uh, how do you call it, Um, goose feather Uh, and he taught me a lot and we started learning how to gesso a canvas and then we got onto subject of Byzantium, middle ages 8th century, 10th century technology how to gesso on wood panel, how to make an icon, how to paint an original icon how they did it in the 10th century in Byzantium and Constantinople. So these are these, these, these pieces of wood Uh, let's say 20 inches by 30 inches, the biggest you can get out of one piece. The wood itself has to be driftwood. It has to soak in water for a few years and you fish it out, let's say, when you cut it to to pieces you want, it's not going to be big enough, so you need to attach them, you need to glue them together, and you glue them together to make a bigger surface. With, with a glue that is basically called bone glue. In America, this glue is called rabbit skin glue. I don't know why it's called rabbit skin glue. Don't ask me. Maybe they make it out of rabbit skin. But in Europe, it's they, they take bones from butchers and they cook those beef bones for five days. And all this gelatin, basically, gelatin gets out of the bone. And after five days of cooking the bone, all is left is calcium. They grind the calcium and they make calcium calcium tablets, which older people should eat a lot in order not to develop weak bones. So you use this glue... And the philosophy of gluing anything to to, to anything is pressing as hard as you can. So the amount of glue between the two surfaces should be minimal because glue really is not there to hold tons and tons. Nowadays, they develop this bizarre glues. Bizarre glue technology has crazy glue. Then there is a spider web glue which can hold tons and tons. But traditionally, if you want to make an icon that, that is tenth century technology. this is what we did, and when you apply gesso, the gesso you you make is out of glue as well. but first five layers, yes, there will be sixteen layers of gesso on this on this wood that you have the drift wood. The wood is drift wood because all the organic uh, organic uh, life cells has died in this wood, and the wood is not gonna warp under influence of humidity. So if the wood drifts in the ocean and the river for a couple of years, few years, Oh, it sits in the swamp for a few years, doesn't rot away somehow. Deep in the swamp, there is not enough oxygen for it to rot. So basically, the wood is not going to warp. This is why you need the driftwood. So this piece of wood you're going to use to paint on is never going to band backwards. You understand? So you, you gesso 16 times. But first five layers of gesso, they're very thin layers of a mixture of... Uh, zinc white which is a powder nowadays we have titanium white but we were using zinc white lead white which was available in poland in america it's not available because it's a poison actually but in poland back then we didn't know that that lead is poison and uh, you make you you add uh, white chalk also and before you add chalk especially chalk you need to grind it even to the finer finer powder because after five layers you start mixing an egg, you create an egg emulsion. Egg by its nature is an emulsion. It's a mixture of oil and water with a natural, uh, na- natural way, which is, which is protein. Protein can, can, can mix oil with water. You understand? Uh, naturally, oil and water is not going to mix. So you need to, you need so-called driver to mix oil and water so in the egg case it's i think it's protein or ca- casein so egg is a natural emulsion emulsion is a definition what is emulsion emulsion is a mixture of f- something fatty with something watery so you create you take an egg and you mix it with uh, white zinc and white lead and white um, chalk. And you, this is your white gesso. And you start applying it for the next 10 layers. Last six layers over this wood to create an original 10th century icon, you know what I'm drifting towards. (laughs) Follow my drift. So last 16 layers of the gesso needs to be polished. Polished by a stone, semi-precious stone called agate. It's a black stone. Well, there are different colors of agate, actually. I didn't know that. But in Poland, we had this black agate. So you polish last six layers of gesso. Because something happens to white chalk and other uh, white uh, lead. They sort of crystallize under the pressure of of the stone you're polishing it with. So you basically make this bizarre surface, last six layers of your gesso, that not only reflects white light, sunlight, but the light penetrates this gesso Kind of deep, deep, deep. It reminds me in many ways this very expensive watercolor paper you can buy nowadays. I have it. It's like one page, 30 inches by 40 inches, costs $10, you understand? The watercolor paper is so heavy, it's so thick, it can stand against the wall like a steel, like a sheet of steel can lean against the wall, you understand? So that's how heavy that watercolor paper is. But here we're talking about creating whiteness beyond your wildest dreams. Apparently Dupont industry. Develop some kind of white that reflects light like ever ever before. I'm very curious about that. I would like to get hold of that paint. So, but we, my, my tutor and I, we created first icon that supposed to resemble in every respect 10th-century Byzantium icon. And then, of course, the style of painting. Well, Byzantium icons were fairly. Simple. They were primitivistic. They were, the style of Byzantium is, uh, how can I say it? It has its sophistication. It has very specific color palette because only specific uh, chemicals were available to make blue. You use, uh, you use blue from Afghanistan. It's called lapis lazuli. To make green, you use this um, oxide, uh, oxidation of copper, basically you know uh and so they they have to be all natural pigments and you have to grind them by hand you get them in a little granulins and then you smash them with the hammer then you grind them grind them in the thing Americans used to grind by hand uh, I forgot what it's called and you grind those those pigments these powders to, to to for hours for hours you make your own pigments natural we call them natural because in uh, in the time of impressionism in 1860s industry paint industry started developing artificial colors and the beginning of impressionism all this movement impressionist art it, the big boom the big explosion of color happened because suddenly the colors were available, which were not available in 1850s, 1840s. You understand? So this is how Van Gogh was able to paint his wild colors. This is how Claude Monet gently applied very bright red and pink. And So going back to those icons. So after I painted this icon, I was bragging about me being able, you know, to paint a thousand year old artwork. And uh, somebody overheard me and they started talking to me, these couple adults. And they say, listen, we are selling um, antiques to tourists from Germany. And this is the beginning of the 80s. This is when a high school teacher makes $50 a month. And if these guys were capable of finding some kind of antiques from 19th century and making $300 a month, $600,000 a month, they were rich. These guys were moving a lot of stuff. Okay, so they were very well organized. They were going to villages, finding antiques. That particular area, Eastern Prussia, there were a lot, a lot of antiques left when Germans left in 1945, went back to Germany, and Polish people came from Lithuania. There were a lot of antiques, and many Poles didn't know how to use coffee grinding machine because nobody drank coffee in Lithuania and Belarusia and Ukraine. No, well, not the peasant population anyway. So basically. Um, There was a big antique market, and partially, in in very rare occasions, these guys got hold of icons, which some of Polish people were not Catholic, but they were actually Eastern European Orthodox, and they brought those icons to Poland. Southeast er regions of Poland got populated by Ukrainian Polish, Belarusian Polish, and they had those icons, and some of those icons were 18 19th century no older than 18th century so when I told those guys that I am I am capable of of manufacturing you know something that will look like and by every mean be a Byzantium thousand year old icon they loved me oh my god I started mass production and I couldn't do it in a in the government art studio at the community center. So they had this building and some of them lived there and they had this huge basement, restored basement. They they had a pool, they they were hanging out there. So they let me manufacture my Byzantium icons there. And they also appointed an assistant, this older guy, an artist who was making posters for the city. But this guy was actually watching over my shoulder to make sure I don't cheat, I don't lie where I had no opportunity to cheat or lie, you know. I have to produce few icons every month. Uh, not, of course, not the drifted wood, because the icons later got installed in the houses with very old ladies who who barely speak, uh, you know. And these guys, these Polish guys, organized guys, they brought German tourists, the client, at night to this house in a, in a stinky village where there is no no paved roads, no electricity, and they walk into the house, and he says, hello, grandma, I'm with the guests, we're just gonna lie down here, I saw this once or twice, I was present there, how this thing happened, the German tourist, doesn't speak Polish, and he's scared shitless, he doesn't know where he is, 200 miles from a hotel from Warsaw, he left his Mercedes on the parking lot at, at the hotel, and we drew him in our van, you know. To this little village and 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 there are these icons in a corner under the ceiling as every orthodox house christian orthodox house, and they 're covered with a little cloth there and their candles standing there not burning but because it's nighttime and the grandma yells from upstairs okay you just lie down you take care of yourself there is some dinner and uh, and and uh, oh yeah sure grandma so we turn on the flashlights and with, with the flashlight but the german guy is not stupid he's not an idiot he's quite knowledgeable in icons specifically especially imagery he's he doesn't have you know know, chemical laboratory with him is not going to be able to detect the chemical composition of the paint of these icons of course not it's in the middle of the night and <clears throat> he got his uh, 600 marks so it's 300 dollars at the time it was two german marks for 1 dollar at the time 1982 83 i was a teenager you understand i was 17 years old Oh, my God. <laughs> when I remember this shit, I don't know what the hell I was doing. Did I have anything better to do? And uh, the guy pulls out the money, the German guy, and he buys, he wants to buy all the icons. And, of course, we, my my friend, Polish organized guy says, no, we can't take all of her icons. We've got to leave couple. So, of course, German guy picks up the Byzantium, in quotes, icons, the ones I painted Last week, they're still fucking fresh. Okay, it doesn't matter. So, of course, he picks the fake ones, not the real ones from the 19th century, which are worthless anyway. And it was a big market for icons, okay? The the Germany, the English people, Americans were buying, paying thousands of dollars for those icons, especially Byzantium, you know, thousand-year-old icons. And so he gets those icons, puts them in his bag. We drive back to Warsaw. We help him to rip off his his trunk and his Mercedes, and we hide those icons under the insulation in a trunk. So when he's crossing the border in his expensive brand new Mercedes, the customs are not going to check his luggage. They're just going to let him through. So he drives right into Germany with no problemo, and then he uh, fulfills his collection. So in my estimates, about 300 icons are Somewhere in Germany, in private collections, that I painted. (laughs) Personally, I didn't sign them, and I'm not sorry about it. But that's that's what went on, you know, that's what happened. I was getting about $100 per icon. And remember, my high school teacher was making $50 a month. You understand? So this is the money I was making and I saved up by comparison. And this is how come I saved up enough money to buy my first real estate when I was 18 years old. But that's another story. Which started from international smuggling. I was smuggling jeans to Moscow and I had nothing to buy in Moscow. I had money in Moscow in Russia, but there is nothing to buy. Well, but that, that's another story, another podcast. So this particular podcast was about. How I was unfortunately involved with organized people who were selling fake shit to, to Germans who decided to break the law and buy illegal antiques and smuggle them to their own country. Criminals. You know, these Germans were criminals. They were tourists coming to Poland, tried to rob cultural heritage of Poland. So they got what they deserve. And I got what I deserve.